Welcome to the All 22 NFL podcast. We are taping this on a Wednesday. I am joined on the line by John Owning, uh, an NFL editor at FanRag Sports. John, how are you? I'm fantastic. How about yourself? I'm good. We're in the dead period. This is slap bang in the dead period. I said this on uh, another show I, I do last week. This is the time of the year where I look through my Snapchat and I see players in places they shouldn't be doing things they shouldn't be doing. And I'm like, why am I watching game film? And these guys are doing <laughs> this stuff. This makes no sense to me. Um, so it's the dead period where we stir up fake controversies. We go through fake lists. Um, and we were just saying before we started, because in the NBA, there was just a mega trade between a mega star um, to a team with another mega star. And I wish we had this during our dead period in the NFL. Yeah, it would make things a lot more funner, make things a lot more interesting, and easier I, to create content. Content is the king, and you as an yeah. editor, this must just be, what a period for you. Do you just get oh, delivered man. with the worst pitches where you just bang your head against oh, the screen? I'm, I'm just hoping that one out of the ten is good. I'm like, oh, let's just get one good one. Let's just get one. All the lists at this time of year. Even I've started doing lists. Yeah, oh, man. Happening. It's a fun time. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun to do stuff that won't matter a single second as soon as... Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the content machine, though. Like, uh, we've stirred up a bunch of fake controversies this week. We had Vince Young fake controversy. I think he took a shot at Ryan Fitzpatrick, as Ryan Fitzpatrick cares. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think he took a shot at Jeff Fisher. They already detest each other, so who cares on that one? Uh, we had the NFL Top 100 list, which th- this stuff always oh, makes yeah. me giggle. People get yeah. really upset, and it's like sit down and make your own list in your head it impacts no one's life yeah this doesn't there's no contracts being made about this and then there's the outrage the outrage where people get angry at the people angry at the top 100 list like just go off your phone go and get a corona and have a chilled night football will return at some point (laughs) we'll be okay i promise you um we both did lists recently um because it's that time of year and so we will um we'll run through some of them and uh sprout off them into different different stuff the the first thing i wanted to talk about was a piece you wrote and it ties you kind of did two pieces that somewhat tied together where you discussed the the most underappreciated edge defenders in the league and then guys who could be breakout candidates to lead the league in sacks somewhat out of nowhere or guys you wouldn't expect that wouldn't lead the bavada rods and stuff like that so um we we can kind of take them in turn and just start with some underrated players that the one that always stands out to me is, is hunter in minnesota because here is a guy who he's not underrated because he doesn't flash and he's not underrated because he's not like physically dominant and therefore people can't understand the nuances of the game or, or stuff like that. Like a guy like Damon Harrison, for instance, mm-hmm. he has all those things. I mean, he has everything. He has highlight plays. He has players where he's just ragdolling quality top tier household name offensive lineman he has all the physical attributes you could wish for. He's on a defense. He gets a bunch of credit because everyone thoughts about Mike Zimmer. I do kind of wonder why Hunter isn't, a bigger deal. Yeah, it is odd because he does have, like you said, he has everything. He has the flash. He has the flair. He has he has the numbers. I think a big thing is that he's just not a starter in their defense yet. This year is going to be the first year they say he's going to be a full-time starter. So maybe that'll help boost his, uh, his availability, you know, his appearance in the public landscape. He's, he's the type of guy, he's going to be the next top-tier pass rusher who's going to be mentioned up there with the Kilio Max and that type of guy. He's going to be the next generation coming up into that tier, in my opinion. 
And he's a true alien. He's like one of these Kevin Durant, a seven foot who can do anything. It, it just, the body doesn't make sense. And he's mm-hmm. 22 years old <laughs> and he's going to be around for 12 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, to me, I always quantify this. Um, when people talk about underappreciated or who's going to break out, my the, the thing I always go to is who is the guy who sports talk radio hosts like Mike Greenberg, and this is no shot at them, they have other stuff to do in their life, have no idea who they are. Then during a Sunday night football game, they have a couple of good plays. And then Chris Hollings, uh, Chris Collins, does like a little highlight package on them. All gets excited, does a Collins gasm, all that type of stuff. Just raves mm-hmm. about them for two minutes, and then everyone talks about them at some point during the following week because now they've heard of their name. And Hunter mm-hmm. is slap bang in the top five of that category, where you can just see a whole Collinsworth monologue about how why is no one talking about this guy like just like we are now. And then yep. from that point on. Oh, people start mentioning Daniel Hunter as a top fifteen guy. His his position. Yeah, I could totally see that coming. You know, Chris Collins would throw some of those nice PFF stats in there. How he's one of the most efficient pass rushers over his first three years in the NFL, and everybody's going to fall for. It. They're all going to fall in love. And he is special, though. It's not going to be a um, a false narrative thing. What's weird is, and uh, not weird, Bosa is a monster. But Bosa is getting all the love of the young players. And I guess because he was the top five pick um, and that happens. Um, but we're not talking about two comparatively massively different markets or massively different teams the way they're covered. One's had more team success in recent years anyway than mm. the Chargers had with Bosa in year one. And if I said to you right now, Bosa, Hunter, and Bosa's got more versatility and stuff. But which guy do you prefer right now? Uh, like I said in my article, I prefer Bosa by just a very, very smidge, and it's his ability as a run defender to make plays behind the line of scrimmage. He's the type of guy he – Hunter is good at maintaining his gap, maintaining his responsibility, but he's not to the point yet where he's translating that into backfield success and the tackles for loss and the stuffs and those type of things. Bosa's already there. So because of that, I think they're close and their pass rush potential is close enough, even though Hunter's is a little bit higher, that – Bosa's big advantage in the run game would give him the slight advantage. Bosa is just a freak. I mean, that is the freak of all freaks. Um, just a dominant and dominant at five, six different spots. There were a whole piece in him last year where it's just remarkable how quickly he assimilated. And what I love that what that defense did last year and what concerns me now that Gus Bradley's there because everything we know about Gus Bradley is though people like him is the guy is somewhat stubborn with what he does and believes in his approach and all that type of stuff and you can see Bosa fitting the Bennett role of outside base inside in nickel and all that stuff but they move Bosa around a bunch but put him in alignments and techniques that he ran at Ohio State so he shifted from the 4-3 to the 3-4 the four-man front three-man front whatever you want to say but just lined him up in spots he was in anyway so it, it, whatever happened around him was irrelevant, essentially. Whether there's two guys down with him or three, it didn't matter. He was playing his same spot regardless. I do kind of worry that Gus Bradley doesn't really overload plays. It's kind of simplistic. Once installed, tough to install, then you kind of only have a few things to do week to week. But I do fear that there's going to be more of just, hey, you do this position, this role, rather than moving him around more and letting him, letting him just be a freak all over the place. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because Bosa does uh, benefit from that flexibility, the ability to give to give the appearance of different looks and different approaches on his rushes. And if he has to stay and maintain and really hone in on one real spot, it might limit his ability to keep uh, an offensive tackle maybe on their toes, off balance, because not knowing what he's going to do, because he's going to be doing the same type of uh, get-off, same type of approach on each play. 
Uh, the other guy you mentioned who I was like, man, he really does not get the credit he deserves, and it's just because he falls in a forest of Hall of Fame trees, and that's really tough to, to stand out from, is Cliff Averill. I mean, you are surrounded by, first of all, Michael Bennett's there, who talks a lot and everyone loves, and he's just one of the most dominant players in all of football. Then you get Frank Clark, who goes on the soon-to-come lists. So you have Bennett at the top, and then Clark on the soon-to-come list. Then you have Wagner, uh, could be a Hall of Famer Sherman, Hall of Famer Earl Thomas, Hall of Famer Cam Chance will be discussed in that kind of light as well. And at some point, you just go through so many names that you're just like, oh, they just have Cliff Averill, and he's a he's a monster. He's a monster. He's kind of like K.J. Wright for the linebackers, How they the guy that gets overlooked. He's the defensive lineman that really gets overlooked. He's been one of the best speed rushers in the NFL for the last three or four or five years. His ability to really win with his first, second, and third step, rip around the corner and use his flexibility to sharpen and corner to the quarterback is really incredible. He's really violent with his hands. He's really he's really a joy to watch because he's coming off with like a, there's like his – Butts lit on fire every single play. He just plays with a ferocity that's just fun to watch. The thing that, that he has, which is interesting, is I always describe these dip and rip brushes that come out. You get a Shane Ray, you get um, Vic Beasley was this coming out of college, where it is just first step explosiveness, rip and bend. And that's all they do in college. And they don't really have a whole lot of nuance to the game. And he is that, but he's so much more powerful because of just the, how mature his body is. And he's also a power rusher at times as well. Um, it's like you. It's hard to describe where it's not just pure speed and torque that he uses to win. It's also the the flexion, the upper body flexion with power. It's just a a whole package where I just don't know how you stop that at times. Like if he's on point, similar to Cameron Wake. If Wake beats you to the set point, it's game over. There's not really yep. anything you can do because he can win in ten different ways, and he'll just run over you or run around you or rip inside you. It's um. He's the total package, and what stood out to me in the piece you wrote about him being underrated was, because I don't really, I forget about all the the uh, accolades and so on. I'm not, I don't really care about them. But when I saw he'd only been to one Pro Bowl, I was like, "What? Is that true? How is that possible?" It's incredible. It's incredible. He's been one of the best pass rushers for, like I said, the last five years, and he only gets credit for one Pro Bowl. And the only reason he got in this year is because people jumped out. He doesn't. For some reason, I don't know, it's because, they, like you said, he doesn't talk or he's not super flashy. He's just overshadowed, overshadowed by everybody on his defense. But he has just not gotten the credit he deserves. And it's really a shame because people aren't going to remember who he is when he retires. And he really is the type of player who should be remembered and people should study. What I do look forward to is in 30 years when I'm a, vet a grizzly veteran in the biz is that I can write for like the MMQB in its 50th year the uh you know the, the column of the best play you never saw so all the kids coming through who think player x is is dominant in their generation i can be the old white guy who's like no cliff averill was the man you don't know cliff averill <laughs> that's gonna be great i'm excited getting off my lawn about stuff like that. <laughs> it's gonna be really fun no one came in on stunts like cliff averill don't try to tell me that <laughs> tell you what that travis frederick was the best <laughs> <laughs> uh, another guy on your list um, and this one I've been trying to drum into people uh, all of last season whenever I'm doing a radio round I tried to slip his name in somewhere is Whitney Merciless because again you fall on a defense where they spent a lot of capital on the defensive backfield JJ Watt is the primary name and you've got Judevian Clowney you don't really get two big superstars like that on one defensive line then you get Merciless 
And it's just wild. The stat I always throw around is they were first and second in snap to sack last year. That is outrageous. The explosiveness those two guys play with and to have the pair of them on one defensive line and they'll chuck JJ Watt back in next year. It's just, it's wild. It's incredible. He's, he's so fun to watch, but I think because, because Clowney is such a physical freak and he's so explosive and so big and he has the dreads flying in the air when he's exploding upfield, I think people's eyes get drawn to him more. Whereas you have Whitney Merciless, who's more, He's still explosive, but he's much more of a technician as a pass rusher than Clowney is right now. So it's not as awe-inspiring to the I.O. It's ex- I would think, but he's just so he's so adept and he knows what he's he knows what to do. He knows where to place his hands. He knows his footwork is unbelievable. He knows when to flip his hips, when to not, how to set up offensive tackles, and he's just so well-rounded. He can play a bunch of different spots on the defense, and he can make an impact. He can rush from the interior. He can rush from the outside he's so he's just so fun to watch and he's so he's so underrated in his game but he's a big reason why the Texans defense was so dominant last year and I think the big thing with him is his positional versatility you alluded to him being in a bunch of different spots there and how how he can win in so many different ways they kind of have to game around Clowney as much as people don't like to hear this because they think he's an all-world player and I I agree. Um, he is a dominant, dominant force, but he has to be a straight-on rusher. Like he, when they put him in wide nine, when they slant him inside, it's all to try and get head-on into the backfield because he just doesn't dip and bend as well, and that's fine. Um, and I even wrote maybe try him at three technique and long stretches because he's just so damn long. Who's going to block him inside? Um, whereas Merciless, you can put him anywhere and he can win in all different ways. And he is the guy they move when they do those five across looks, or they did because Cronell's uh, not going to be running the show anymore, though he'll be there side by side with variable on game day when they did the five across look except for when they went to Foxborough and Clowney just whipped everyone all over the place whenever they were moving people around for the most part Merciless was the guy they would put inside or put elsewhere which you wouldn't really think given Clowney's you know freakish proportions and stuff but because he has to win in certain ways they kind of trust Merciless to do more of the, the moving stuff which I think would surprise people I'm guessing like you said he doesn't he doesn't have like the the cold sweat moments where you wake up in the middle of the night like, holy shit, remember that clowny play? That was wild. He just doesn't have that's it in his resume. Way. That's a great way to say it. I never even thought about it like that. That's good. Cold sweat moments. I like that. Uh, this is the coffee. is strong in me, kicking in today. I've just been <laughs> writing two columns, so all the adjectives are flying out. Um, the other guy who I had to mention, and I've been back and forth on this guy, long storied history with Marcus Golden through my career. John, you will have no idea, but me and him, we were tight through his... Through his draft process, we bonded, we were close, then he pied me off, and now it's it's been downhill um, ever since. Though I love the player, and he's a guy you mentioned earlier playing with his hair on fire. This guy is is all freak in terms of effort. Yeah, he's fun. He's uh, He has a, t- a double-hand swipe move that might be the cleanest double-hand swipe move in the entire NFL. The way he can soften the corner as he swipes both those hands down and turns his body and uses his flexibility to get to the quarterback – it's it's probably in my top three to five favorite moves from a player in the NFL. It's just a beauty to watch, and he uses it so so well. And it's the same type of it's a it's great to see that he developed that from Missouri because in Missouri he was much more of a rip guy. He used a really big hard rip move when he was really running the edge. And in the NFL, I like that he's added that two hand swipe to kind of mix in with that to keep offensive tackles guessing. And you put out. Um... 
was it you part the thing the other day about who could jump into the top, who could be the, the Vic Beasley out of nowhere sat guy, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I put Marcus Golden there because, um, well, I, I forgot about Frank Clark and Noah Spence. That was the first reason. Uh, <laughs> too fast with my Twitter thing. My Twitter guns were drawn too quickly because I forgot about those two players. But Golden, with Calais Campbell gone, protection is going to be slid to Chandler Jones. I mean, they gave Chandler Jones all that money, I believe, under the assumption Maybe not they wouldn't bring Campbell back, but some would draw double teams inside. And I wrote a piece of them recently, and I'm looking through, and I'm like, I'm not sure where those things are coming from anymore, inside. It's going to be slid to Jones, I would assume, which at least means Golden will be one-on-one a lot. And he's really good. <laughs> and I think he's going to rack up a bunch of production. And maybe, you know, the sack totals can go up and down just based on coverage sacks and flukes <sighs> and who arrives first and all that type of stuff. But I think he can be a double-digit sack guy for multiple, multiple years through his career. I definitely think so. I think he's a he's in a perfect situation for him to be able to do so. You know, the Cardinals they know they have a they're one of the few teams that has a coach specifically for pass rush. So they put in a lot more technique work, from my understanding, than a lot of teams do into their pass rush. So their players are still being able to still see some development in their pass rush ability throughout the season. So I think that's really helped Marcus Golden a lot because. There are times where you can see him go through stretches of a season where he's just not – his timing's off, his hand uses is off, the way he approaches is off. And then you could see him correct it and you can tell it's coming from the work that he does. And it makes me, makes me very you know, bullish on his career. They're also going to have all kinds of exotic blitz stuff going forward because they just have all these guys you can align basically anywhere you need. They're going full positionless. They're copying Golden State. They're looking across other sports. They're just saying, let's get players. Let's get six players and let's just line them up anywhere we want. I mean, they ran last year these bizarre tilt packages and tilt fronts which you see in high school it's like yeah. we're going to stunt does everyone agree it's like shaking hands beforehand so we all just confirm <laughs> with one another that we're going to run a stunt right now i'm looping in here and everyone says okay sir um and they worked prolifically and they got a lot of one-on-ones for either jones or golden and if you can get for 20 snaps a game confirmation you can get golden or jones one-on-one you will take that every single week because they're going to hit the quarterback a bunch of times during that exactly they're one of the they're probably one of the best pass rushing duos in the NFL, and they don't get that much credit. You know, everybody talks about everybody those four pass rush duos in the AFC West, but the NFC West they got the that they got a couple of nice pass rush duos of themselves. And more ferocity, I would say. I mean, Mack and Miller for sure bring that, but there's a lot more speed involved in the AFC West with D Ford and so on. But the NFC West is man; those guys just crush people once they arrive. Um, Trey Flowers. That's the last one I want to discuss, everyone. But um, who did I miss out? I wrote everyone down except for well, someone's missing if there's five. Um, but Trey Flowers, this man is all nuance and one of the most technically fun players to watch in the league. And his progression playing inside, he can play basically any alignment you ask him to except for like shade nose or something. Uh, probably could do if they asked him, I guess. But um, he is just, to me, into football snobbery and pure nerdishness. This is the guy. I mean, that's the teaching tape right there. Exactly. He's so good. He knows how to use his length really well, his strength. He uses his core. He engages his core really well. He knows 
The thing about him is he knows how to position his hands and play with leverage as well as anybody that I've that I've really watched this offseason in depthly. He control he just knows how to control bodies on the edge and in the interior. He's a really a master at that fact against the run. And against the pass, he might not be the most athletic guy, the most explosive guy, but he has powerful hands and he knows how to use his angles. He's a very intelligent pass rusher. So, you know, he's exactly the kind of guy that Belichick likes. He's that flexible. He's that guy who can play a bunch of different positions. He's versatile. He's heady. He's smart. And he's strong. And he knows how to use his uh, attributes. And I think he's only going to get better with what surrounds him. I, I don't think he's a player who's going to be the one-man wrecking crew that you're like, great. Uh, that, that's, that's one of our defensive foundations for a decade. If you can add speed around him, like they tried to do in the draft, um, then I think it opens up all the possibilities for him on moving stuff and stunts and twists and all that type of jazz, which will open up production for him. It's going to be tough to make him a much more, much better player. There's all these stories out there about how Belichick is using him as teaching tape. Like he hasn't changed his teaching tape since the, the 1800s. Now all of a sudden he's in love with Trey Flowers. So uh, <laughs> clearly he's, you know, special within what they ask him to do within those refined things. Um, and I do think if you get more talent around him, that's when the production rises. And we know production equals name value, essentially. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, the other, the other rich players I wanted to discuss. So you put out that thing uh, about guys who could lead the, lead the league in sacks. And you mentioned Hunter, who we've discussed. Uh, kind of touched on Cam Wake, I guess. Um, and Frank Clark. Frank Clark is one of those guys. I got a question about this the other day, which was interesting, about how do you disassociate yourself with the off-the-field stuff with the on-the-field stuff? Um, this is in relation to James Winston and the piece I wrote on the books. And I said... It's easy for me. I'm not doing player profiles. I just do the scheme stuff, keep it strictly scheme. I don't like slip in and off the field comment on someone. Therefore, I have to mention it about Winston all the time. But Clark is one of those guys where, man, it is tough sometimes. You talk about him, he's so damn talented. And then when I'm writing about him, it kind of feels weird when I'm just lauding him with praise all the time when he's just a dick most of the time off the field. Yeah, it feels awkward. It feels really weird to be like praising and, you know, talking so effusively and, with praise about a guy that who's really not that he's really kind of a shithead off the, off the field. It's, it's really awkward, but the way I just try to think about it is I'm just appreciating the, on the field, Frank Clark and off the field, Frank Clark. I don't even have to think about, it doesn't matter. It's not, not, you know, I mean, it matters to who it's happening, but it doesn't, it's not something that I need to concern myself with when I'm talking about his on the field tape, you know. Do you ever find yourself twist changing the language slightly? Like, I have found myself and had to correct myself whilst writing when I'm discussing, like, the artistry of someone. Yeah. And I don't do it with, I wouldn't have done it with someone. I would have just used probably some cliched jargon term rather than mm-hmm. really discussing the, masters, the mastery of it. Um, do you ever find yourself in situations like that? Yeah, all the time. Yeah, I'm always. I you always have to maybe with him like you have to alter the way you say things, say things. Oh, you know, for sure. Talk about devastating bruising power, all this type of crap. That yeah, stuff is, that, exactly. that, that catches you really quickly. When you go through the second roof, you go, oh, "Shit, man!" That's like that one, but that one didn't slip that's through. Go, oh, that's something when like I, one thing I like to do is I like to have my uh, my fiance read my stuff before I submit it, and that's something she would be like. Are you sure? Did you just write you he has sure? a devastating well, left hand? It's like that. Yeah, I, think that uh, yeah. I want to change that one. I think you might want to change that one. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, my bad. Damn. Um, the yeah. other guy who has more of a route force story is Noah Spence. Now there's stuff around him that isn't great, but 
I like the underdog story of a guy who got kicked out of Ohio State for drug issues, um, goes to uh, Eastern Kentucky, and now is one of the most effective dip and rip players we'll have in the league, I believe. If you're just looking for pure first step quickness, beat you to the set point, dip and bend, this is the guy. This is going to be one of the, the guys we'll see over the next three, four years develop. How how much you think he can progress in the second year? It wasn't always pretty, particularly early on uh, in Tampa, but the flashes you expect to see were definitely there. Yeah, I think he can uh, improve a lot. Uh, he's a guy, he's, right now, he's just that guy who's going to, just going to run that edge track. He's just going to really try to explode upfield, bend that edge, be win with flexibility, win with his ability to reduce his surface area and go and get the quarterback. He needs to improve his hands a little bit, you know, work some, maybe work some long arm type stuff, some inside moves, maybe in a nice spin off his speed rush, whatever he needs to do. He needs to figure out counters and kind of follies to his speed rush. Something that when he's hammering them with the speed, because that's always going to be his game is hammering that speed rush. Something that he can use to take advantage off of that is really what he needs to improve on this year. And a big thing for him, which was a big thing for Vic Beasley, which is the progression you referenced in terms of that question, the progression I've been thinking about a lot in terms of other players of the guy who plays as your sub-package guy in year one, and he just really is a dip and rip guy. And then in year two, you build more packages specifically for him. A big key to that is just having excellent players around you who are excellent at the nuanced stuff and the stuff that maybe the guy doesn't care about as much because he's a rookie and he's not that fussed and wants to get sacks and be on sports and all that jazz. When you have a Gerald McCoy, he will do everything inside you, and Levante David, who will close everything out for you behind. Mm-hmm. You can just kind of be cut loose, or they can create packages for you where you can just uh, be cut free to go and attack, and that's the type of play. He, he's not going to be your your fourth set-the-edge first down guy, I wouldn't believe, for a while. It's just never been oh. in his game. Um, he jumped offside a bazillion times in college, so he just <laughs> isn't going to be that kind of disciplined guy initially until he starts racking up the sack totals then you tell him okay now you've done that this is how we win games exactly he needs the like you said to become a full three down like dominant force he's going to need to improve his ability to play on against the run he needs to be more disciplined he needs to be more gap disciplined he needs to be more cognitive of where he's putting his hands where he's positioning his body how he's bending at the knees hips and ankles when he's engaging at the point of attack, you know, little details like that is stuff he needs to improve against the run. And good thing is those are things that can improve. He can work on those things. They're not impossible to teach. He, everything that he needs is teachable. When you were thinking about that question, um, what was the one team you looked at and like, man, they have no one who has even a shot. Would it be like Indy? The Cowboys. The Cow- Cowboys is bad. We got we got David Irving, who I like. I was really looking forward to. I think he's really. I think he has a chance to be really good. And then he goes and gets suspended for the first four weeks. So you know, I'm just. Ugh. There's a lot of bad. guys in that team got suspended recently, right? And in the same yeah. room, I believe. It reminds me yeah. of. Uh, I bring this one up all the time when no one ever mentioned the fact that the, like all five of the Seahawks DBs got popped within three weeks of one another for taking the same thing. So that's not a coincidence. Um, yeah. oh, the Cowboys have had four, five guys yeah. get popped. Don't remind me, Ollie. Geez. It almost sounds like a culture, a culture of uh, pushing the rules there. And no Randy Gregory. We're just trying to get sacks over here, okay? So you're you not a believe you're not a believer in Taco then in the first year of Taco. No, definitely not a first year believer of Taco. I'm I'm I was in the the camp of I think Taco 
had the lowest floor among all the top edge rushers, but I also think his ceiling wasn't that high. I think at minimum he's going to be a really good run defender with his length, his strength, his flexibility. But I don't know if he has the explosiveness and the ability to develop adept hand usage to be the type of pass rusher that they want him to be, that that double-digit sack guy. Would he get on the field before Tapper? I think he will. I think he will because of his ability to play against the run. Because they're going to get a shot then, right? Because there's going to be all the suspensions. Someone's going to get some free snaps being handed around here. So if you play well in those first four weeks, now you have a shot to at least be in the rotation. Uh, I think Taco's going to be that guy because he's similar in size to David Irving. He can be used similarly to David Irving. He can play that outside-inside type of role. He can play on the left side. So I think he's going to be the guy that gets most of those snaps. I think Tapper is going to be mostly rotating probably with like Benson Mayo and then and Demarcus Lawrence on that right side as a uh, as a proud follower of the SEC and writer of the SEC I'm so excited for Joey Ivy to be a guy who is in the league for 15 years playing for every single team and just being excellent I'm very excited yeah. about this oh Rod Marinelli is already in love with him oh, he's already excellent he's, you should have saw when he got picked in the draft the Happiest Marinelli's got. He did a full fist bump. He was so excited to get Joey Ivey. And everybody was like, who? Who is this guy? Who does not love a big two-gapping, anchoring, interior white guy? I mean, Rob Marinelli, that's, that's, I mean, he loves it. Yeah, that's his thing. <laughs> he loves it. He's going to play for everyone. He's going to be the guy who, like, when Wade Phillips is still coaching in five years, and they're like, give him a list of guys we want to target. They're like, why have you got Joey Ivey at the top of this list? It's like, he's just going to be one of those guys. He plays everywhere. Yeah, um, he's going to be. That Igor Olshansky, or you remember that guy from the Cowboys? He's going to be that guy. Um, Jalen Smith, I, I I should ask you about him as a Cowboys guy. Um, are you excited? What are the reports looking like? I haven't heard a great deal. Outside of everyone saying he looks fantastic, but I mean, he can't do any contact stuff. So are you excited? I have tempered excitement about him. I'm excited to see what he has, but I know with his drop foot and his nerve regenerating, his change of direction isn't gonna be great initially. At least I don't at least I don't see how it could be from everybody I've talked to, everything I've read. So I think really for this year at least, I think his upside is as like a is as like a two down thumping run defender. I don't think he's gonna have the ability to really fluidly change direction to being to be stuck in coverage too much. So I think you're gonna see when he plays, I think you're going to see a guy who comes downhill against the run, and if he has to play against the pass, he's just going to spot drop. All right, I want to get to some questions. We'll talk about some stuff I wrote about, but I always forget to get to the questions at the end because I run out of time, and as people sent them in during the dead period that I asked for, um, <laughs> I, shall, I shall get to them. Um, let's start with this one. Jared Brown, um, our friend of the pod, Jared, who I believe took up a teaching job which is why he hasn't been on the podcast and i'm proud of him for that um he's also coaching so that's why he hasn't been on for a while because the guy is, is busy and doing actual you know productive work for society grooming young folk to, to be successful in life both on the football field in the classroom um <laughs> whereas i sit here with starbucks and football um he says your choice if you could create a ass rushing duo of one nfl player and one college player oh that's that's a tough one NFL, my player would have to be Vaughn Miller because I think he's the best pass rusher in the NFL right now. I think J.J. Watt and Cleo Mack have arguments. But J.J. Watt coming off that back surgery, you just don't know exactly what you can expect from him. And then I just think Vaughn Miller's a little bit better than Cleo Mack, so I'm going to go with, with Vaughn Miller. And then my college guy, 
I haven't seen a ton of college people yet. I'm just now starting to wade through the film, but I would say the guy that I'm gonna go with Rashawn Gary from Ooh. Michigan. He's a sophomore, you know, monster. Yeah, he's a monster, <laughs> and I think he has a chance to be the best. Kind of like how like Miles Garrett was the best pass rusher in college football as a sophomore. I think he has that ability to be that good. He has clowny esque. Um high school tape it's laughable he, he looks like he's 30 years old against 12 year olds it's very funny um that that's i didn't even consider interior players when i saw this come through i was like well i'll take arden key he's my guy from lsu i, I just oh, love I him, him. um and then i was gonna go with mac because i'm a hipster and i have to take mac over uh von miller because for some reason <laughs> you have to do even though miller's a, a freak as well but now i kind of want to take aaron donald because i it just says pass rushing you i can have aaron donald he's an interior yeah, rusher yeah. I'm gonna take Aaron Donald and Ard, uh, an Arden Key, and I'm gonna wreck the league for for two decades. That's what I'm gonna do. Oh, quarter, quarterbacks aren't gonna be happy. <laughs> He's not gonna have a fun time. Um, I also I was thinking about this. I really wish I could ask Jared about Zach Orr because. He, the news came out today that he's going to come back into the league, that he's found a doctor who says that you can play again, so he's going to go play. He already has like eight trials um, set up with teams, which is good for him. Nice. I, I'd love to know what Jared, who's an inside linebacker's guy, thought of his value, cause, and I wish him all the best with the health and stuff, but he's one of those guys who I think just got an all-pro nod for production. Then when you watch him, it's like, what, is, what am I missing? You know, when you yeah. see those guys where like they have great reputations, like Tremaine yeah. Johnson, I like, and then I go yeah. to watch him, and I'm like, why is he getting franchise tagged? Mm-hmm. Like, you could find that guy. Mm-hmm. Guys whose reputations are bigger than their game on the field. For sure. Um, but Bobby Boucher, he says, which team is most likely to come out of the NFC and lose to the Patriots in the Super Bowl? Wow. Wow, we're, we're going to already do that? Uh, we're already we're Apparently, doing that? that's uh, uh, this is a, you do have to do that. It's off-season discussion <laughs> time. Let's throw out some <laughs> The books. There we go. Also, the best rookie edge rusher this season. Who will who will rack up the? Let's not go with the most sacks. Let's just go with who's going to dominate um, the online nerd culture of who everyone is in love with. Not that people are allowed to agree online. That would be laughable. <laughs> I assume that. But when we do this podcast next year, who will we say? Okay, that's the guy. Um, Carl Lawson, that'll be my that'll be my underrate oh, under wow. the radar pick. You know, everybody goes Miles Garrett, Solomon Thomas. I'll go Carl Lawson, who was, in my opinion, the steal of the draft. He is, he is just set. He is so advanced of a pass rusher at such a young of an age. He's going to be able to step in right away and be effective. He's already has glowing reports from the Cincinnati Bengals. You know, OTAs and mini camps, and it's OTAs and mini camps. It doesn't matter. But when you have players that you want to see have first-year production, you want to see them be able to stand out in every situation. And Carl Lawson is already there. He was a guy. He was actually my number two edge rusher in the draft this past draft. You know, he's when you look at him, his ability to use angles to get to the quarterback. He is the most heady pass rusher. He uses the most diverse set of hand usage. He has a the most diverse setups with his feet of anybody in the draft. He is just such an advanced, just advanced pass rusher that I don't see that there's any way if he doesn't get adequate pass rush snaps that he's not going to be immediately productive. That immediately makes me think of Miles Garrett because part of the, um, the problem with being such a freak is when you can just run through everyone, including guys who go in the third round of the draft as like future left tackles of NFL teams and you just run through them on day one of the college season. 
sometimes you when the coach is talking about the nuanced stuff, you're kind of like, ah, but man, I can just run through everyone. So that, mm-hmm. that will be interesting to see how Garrett acclimatizes to, hey, when you go against Tyron Smith, he's going to rock you in the face at some yep. point. It's going to happen. Um, yeah, and it's going to be an adjustment for him. It's going to take him a little bit to get used to that. He's probably going to have to get put on his butt a couple of times before he realizes what exactly ha- he has to do to get the most out of himself. Then I look forward to the overreaction columns. I look forward to Tony <laughs> Croce taking veiled shots at him. It's it's exciting. Um, I'll take Derek Rivers because he'll be on like national TV stages, oh, playoff games. One. Oh, I uh, love Derek. Playing like 11 snaps a game and crushing the quarterback twice. So I'll go with a... I actually think he has a chance to work his way into the rotation. He's a, he's a ways away from what they want. But they just mm-hmm. don't have much speed. When you're like, let's roll Shea McLennan out there, it's like yeah. <laughs> we need some speed up front, and he's their guy. That's what they brought him in for. So um, I'll take him to, to get a few snaps. Um, what is the best? This is from Arif Hassan. He says, "What is the best non-jujitsu martial art for a defensive lineman to learn?" I believe he sent this because you do teach jujitsu. Is that correct? Yes, yes, it is. So is that? I I don't know these different martial arts. Um, I was going to say I. And a lot of players do striking training in the offseason for hand placement and such. Um, anything along those lines? Uh, jiu-jitsu is more of like a wrestling base, like a grappling art. Like uh, Tom Baha Lee does jiu-jitsu in, in his offseason. He's really big into it. Um, it's really more of a ground base. It's using leverage, using people's body weight, momentum to be. It's really a it, – jiu-jitsu was created for the small man to be able to beat the bigger man because you use leverage, you use – different types of techniques to be able to manufacture strength and types of things like that. But to answer Arif's answer, the easy answer would be judo. Judo is the easy answer. It's like a stand-up based art. But the reason why judo would be so good for defensive linemen is because it's all hand usage and it's all rolling of your hips to pick up your opponent, throw them on the ground. A, A big portion of it is that. So I think those two techniques, those two uh, attributes would be improved a lot through ju- judo. Their, avail- their ability to hand fight were improved because that's a huge part of judo is hand fighting, trying to get good grips. And then your ability to have really strong, explosive hits uh, hips to pick up your opponent and throw them on the ground. I'm really into uh, watching the UFC and stuff like that at the moment. And anyone who wants to be a good athlete should do some form of martial art because the, the talk and the, the leverage and just the, it's, it's remarkable. That is how, if you want to get into shape. It's just movement too. A lot of martial arts, they make you a lot more fluid. All your muscles have to be working at different types. You know, a lot of NFL players are so rigid. They're so tightly wound muscle bound that they don't have that fluidity of movement, that freedom of movement that like martial artists have. And that's really beneficial to the guys. You see guys like Antonio Brown who have that freedom of movement. Their hips can separate from their torso and stuff. So it, it's really beneficial in that sense, too. Um, what was I going to say about that? I had something else to add. Oh, it's funny that two of the like most imposing uh, pass rushes of the generation have completely different off-season regiments. Like you have Tambaha Lee doing jiu-jitsu, and then you've got James Harrison throwing medicine balls as volleyball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> guys are... Yeah, that, no guy has ever flaunted the fact that he's taken PEDs as much in the history of sports outside of Lance Armstrong. Like James Harrison does not care that his eyes are bloodshot red and flying out of his brain as he throws a medicine ball on the beach. He doesn't care. He's crazy, man. He's 
That dude, uh, he's insane. You could just look in his eyes and you know that dude, you don't want to mess with that guy. He is right now the ultimate not mess with the guy in sports. There is not another guy who, um, if they come up to your date, you would not be like, yeah, sure, whatever. Man, when he was on Hard Knocks, I was scared out of my mind and I wasn't even near him. I think the HBO crew was also scared during that season. Yeah, I was like, good, jeez. Simon Bidewell. He says, who are the new or upcoming players we should be watching next season on the Chiefs? He's excited by Wilson LDT, um, who I love, and Chris Jones. I mean, Chris Jones is already a menace. Yeah, I love Chris Jones. I was going to say that was going to be my guy. Chris Jones is a monster already. I'm so excited to see what he does in a second year. He he has Aaron Donald-like get-off. I mean, that's indefensible. If, if he can stay low to the ground, how do you – it's just physics. It was great to see how much more consistent he was in his rookie year than he was in college. In college, it was a much more up and down. He was much more his his effort levels would go up and down as the game progressed. In NFL, it seems like his his motor was was on more consistently. When they write sack bonuses into your contract, then yeah, I'd be on every snap as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Ramit Wilson is the guy. He mentioned Wilson there. I like him a lot. I wrote about him in a, in a breakout players piece. Just an explosive player. C- can develop, I think, into a three-down guy. Be really cheap for them. Um, and they can move on from the older guys at the linebacker spot. The other guy I just watch a bunch of, which no one else is doing, might I add, in the dead period of the offseason because they probably have lives. I'm, I, I'm doing the um, the positional rankings pieces, but by groups. I did the, the cornerbacks one. I'm writing about the safeties this week. So I watched a bunch of Daniel Sorensen. Um, he's really interesting. Like, he's not a great player. I, I, just by watching him, I assume Chiefs fans dislike him. I don't know why I think that, but that's just what I feel because he does miss a bunch of plays. But to have these guys, these safeties these days, who can play dime linebacker, which he does a bunch, then they go to certain uh, plays where they play some kind of whole defense and Barry rotates down. Now he's a deep middle of the field guy. They are just really versatile back there because Sorensen can play linebacker, and there aren't many guys in the league who can both play linebacker, then play deep middle of the field consistently and well. There's Morgan Burnett. Chung does it a tiny amount for the pages. He doesn't really drop deep much. Having that gives you all kind of flexibility, so I think he's a at least somewhat of a player to watch. I think he was undrafted a couple of years ago. Um, Steven Nelson, the cornerback out of Oregon State, he's talented as well. Um, anyone else in the Chiefs who's interesting? No, I think you hit everybody. You know, Chris Jones was the guy. That's the guy I fan out over. Yeah, what did you love. think of a D Ford's development last year? He went to me from being a guy who was just pure athleticism to some of the hand usage stuff got impressive as the season went along. Yeah, you could tell he's really working at it. You know, he was he was a guy that everybody was kind of making fun of. You know, he was kind of the bane of people of Twitter. People saying like, oh, D Ford, oh, he just runs around. He runs around the loop all the time. Doesn't do anything. This year, he really. He, this year seemed to be the first time he was a student of pass rush. You know, he was taking proper angles a lot of a lot better. He was setting up his moves a lot better, and his hand uses were so much better. You could tell his hand timing really, really improved. He took a step. Maybe the light turned on for him. I hope so, because with that body, he can be a, a dominant player if he wants to be. Um, last quick note I had was on Nick Fairley, which I found intriguing. I had a bunch of tweets about this. What will the Saints do without Nick Fairley? Um, stinks that he's got the, the health issues, but I think they'll be okay. Um, David Onyemata is a good player. I think he's going to be really good. Um, and then there's the recaps, that stuff. The Saints, man. Offseason stinks. When you already have like no players and two players that fans know of can get injured, that's, that's yeah. rough. 
That's a rough dead period. Yep, it's a, it's not a good time, you know. Dead period's supposed to be filled with, you know, just relaxing, chill. And when your team keeps messing up, I know I've been there. It's not fun. The only thing you're supposed to be angry at is the lists. That's what the dead period. Yes, is for. exactly. So you get pissed off at NFL Network right now. That's that's what it's you for. Get out of your team. Last thing before we go, uh, I wanted to touch on quickly because it's what I do. I write columns and I talk about them on the podcast with smart people. Um, I wrote about the top cornerback groups in the NFL. Um, I believe you read this, John, so you can comment uh, somewhat. Um, uh, the thing that that was, well, I used the list as a way to just write about players I wanted to write about anyway. So Stefan Gilmore, yeah. Desmond Trufant, Jalen Ramsey. You watched Jalen Ramsey much last year, by the way? Yeah, he's a monster. I loved his games. Him and DeAndre Hopkins was so fun. That was a wild affair between the pair of them. He he was so bad for like four or five games, and he's so talented. And then the last five, six games, it was like watching Patrick Peterson. And mm-hmm. if, the light, the if, if the light went on, and that's what it is, and they dumbed a lot of stuff down, not because he's dumb, but because they changed coaching staff, and they were like, we're not doing all this pattern match shit, just go cover someone. Um, he just mauled people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you saw his swagger come. When he gets that swagger going, that's when you know he's feeling good about his technique. He's feeling good about what he's doing on the day. When that came in, that's when you knew he was ready. He was go. He was in, he was in his comfort zone. And he was drawing like crazy early on and getting torched. And it was like, <laughs> oh man, this guy. Uh, and then you go down the past five, six weeks, and no one can get by him. There is nothing yep. he cannot do. There is no technique. There is no route combination to specifically attack that guy that he can't cover. Like. Patrick Peterson, and I wrote about this in the piece, the only way to really go after him is A, have Julio Jones, and even then he'll he'll, he'll crush him at the line if he wants to, or you just move him into the slot, you hope he follows him, you do some in-out stuff, um, and Uh he just isn't as fluid as some guys because that's not his game. I don't think Ramsey has a thing where it's like, hey, this is a specific way, now maybe we get more tape and there's a certain route or something that he struggles with. Because he's an alien. The sky is truly the limit of we are looking at Revis-level Patrick Peterson level greatness with this guy. He's an alien. People aren't supposed to be that big, that strong, that explosive, and that flexible. That's not how. That's not why how humans were made. It's him. It's clowny. These are the these are the ultimate freaks among all these freaks. All these yeah, guys. Yeah, they're the freaks of the freaks. Can you can you imagine how freaky that is? Like to us, <laughs> the fifty third man on the roster is like a freaky athletic compared to just a regular Joe. Imagine. The guy that that guy thinks is the freak, like he thinks, like that Von Miller is the freak, that Julio Jones is the freak. Imagine, just imagine comparing to us how crazy athletic Julio Jones is. It's insane. The the hilarious ones to me, the two guys. One was Logan Ryan in New England because I'm writing about Stefan Gilmore. Uh, sorry, um, Eric Rowe. So I was thinking about Eric Rowe. Eric Rowe's physical dimensions are not from this planet. It's absurd how explosive he is and how long his arms are. And he's the third or fourth rotation guy on their team. It's crazy. How is that possible? And then, an eight. and then I look at Aaron Colvin, who I'm really excited to see develop in Jacksonville. This is a guy who, those body proportions do not exist, I don't believe, anywhere else in the league. I would love the accurate measurements on his body length and his arm length compared to every other cornerback in the league. Um, including guys who didn't go to the combine and all that stuff, because I just don't think that body type exists. His arms do not go longer than they're supposed to. It's that simple. And somehow he's coordinated, and he plays in the slot, and he's 6'2". Uh, if he's good, and you have Boye and Ramsey, uh, the Jacks might actually win four or five games. Be exciting. Yeah. 
Yeah. They'll have a chance. That... Yeah, they might. Finally, Jacksonville Twitter will have can be can have something fun to write about. I really wanted to put them in the top five just out of uh, ballsiness because of how good Ramsey was and how excited I am for Colvin, but we shall see. That's why you can you can write a mere culpa piece mid season by myself yep. for content. Mm-hmm. Yep. Clicks. Clicks. Sure. Ramsey only gave up six point five yards per pass attempt last year. That's that's wild given how bad he was to open the season. So it's impressive. Um all right, I don't think I have anything else. Um, that's it for the show. I apologize for the, the slow period of the time, the, the slow discussion points. Um, we tried, John. I thought it was good content. I like talking about pass rushes. I think we did good. It was fun. I had fun. If they didn't have fun, at least we had fun. And I, as I always say, I only do the show for me. It's the only reason I do it, so I don't care. Exactly. And I had fun, so that's all that matters to me. Um, <laughs> all right, John Owning, people can go read you at fanrikesports.com. You are the NFL editor there. They can find you on Twitter, at John Owning. Um, and then they can find your stuff, I guess, from there. So uh, that'll do it for this week of the All-22 NFL Podcast. Go check out all22.com, read my pieces, read other people's pieces, and that'll do it. John, thanks for doing this. Hey, appreciate it. Have a good day.